We're starting a, a series today, and it's called Really God? And this series is a little bit different to what I would normally do. I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of person that kind of likes to do messages where we, we see a problem, and then God's the solution, and we finish on this woohoo moment. In case you hadn't noticed in the time that you've been here. But this series, we're going to look at the book of Habakkuk, and we're going to look at it each chapter, one this week, chapter two next week, and chapter three next week. And it's really a little bit different because we may come away from this morning without any real answers. Because I don't know about you, but there's been plenty of times in my life where I have looked at a situation that's going on, and I've really looked at God and gone, Really? I don't know about you, but there have been moments in my life where I've done all the right things, yeah? I've followed what he told me to do, and nothing has changed. It feels like he hasn't answered my prayers. It feels like he's gone on holiday. He broke his bubble and went to the Cook Islands. It feels like he's not responding. It feels like he's disinterested. It feels like other people that aren't following him. I can remember a time when Trinity was really, really sick and this lady in our church got prayed for, she had cancer and God miraculously healed her of cancer. Trinity got prayed for, nothing happened. This person that got healed of cancer walked away from God and went and lived a wild life and I'm standing there going, hello, we're still here. We're still, why did you heal her and not heal? I mean, she isn't even living for you now. She, you know, when I get angry, I don't kind of think straight. So I kind of said, they deserve to get their cancer back. It's not right. I'm just being honest with you. Because you think this way sometimes. Let's be honest. Sometimes we see situations where, why have they had that happen to them when I've been asking for that for so long? And you have this moment where you're like, really, God? Like, and so what do we do? How do we, how do we handle that? How do we... Walk through that when it feels like, when you, when you put your faith in him, when you've applied the principles to your life and nothing has changed. And in fact, sometimes things just seem like the more you put in the principles of God, the more you pray, the more you seek him, the worse it seems to get. So how do you hang in there when it seems like God doesn't care? And I know that Everybody sitting here at some stage, somewhere along this journey with God, if you haven't faced that question, you will face it. And we're going to look at the book of Habakkuk because Habakkuk is a really interesting book. It's in the Old Testament and Habakkuk was a prophet. He was a prophet. Now, the thing about Habakkuk that was so different to all the other prophets is every other prophet in the Old Testament spoke to the people on behalf of God. But Habakkuk was different in that he spoke to God on behalf of the people because he didn't like what God was doing. He didn't like what God was doing. He was from the tribe of Judah. And at this stage in Judah's history, at this stage in Judah's journey, Judah was a blessed tribe, but instead of prospering, instead of having all the great things happening in their world, they were actually hurting and they were in extreme poverty. 
And Habakkuk in his book just unleashes on God. Like he just lets rip at God about how he feels. And this was 2,600 years ago that Habakkuk lets God know how he feels about what God is doing. And 2,600 years ago, Habakkuk asked the same question that so many of us and so many other people are asking of God today. They want to know why God does not seem fear. Why aren't you fear? If, if God could do something about this, which we know he can, why doesn't he? Maybe I'm the only person that has that question, and I don't understand why God doesn't do some of the things that he can do, and I think he should do, but he doesn't do. And in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2 to 3, we see Habakkuk asking this question of God. He says, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? He's really saying all the things that we would say, this is not fair. Why is this happening? Why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing something about it? You see, the interesting thing about the word Habakkuk in the, in the Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament is written in, Habakkuk in Hebrew means to embrace and to wrestle. And so Habakkuk here is embracing God, but he's also wrestling with him. Habakkuk is doing everything he can to embrace the God he knows, but because God doesn't seem to be lining up with what he believes, He's wrestling with God. So he's saying, you know, I know you're God and I love you and, I, and I'm embracing you, but I really don't like what you're doing. And so I'm kind of wrestling with you at the same time. I've got this thing where I know who you are, but what you're doing to me, I, I don't agree with. And there's this wrestle going on on the inside of him. And sometimes in life, we have these wrestles where we lose our job and and it's not that you, you don't even get a better job, you just don't get a job for ages, and then the job you end up getting is a job that you're way more overly qualified for, and you end up in this job, and you're like, why did I go to university? Why did I get this? If I'm, if I'm in this, what are you doing, God? What is going on here? Or sometimes in life, you think you have a good marriage, and your marriage seems to be going on really well, and then all of a sudden, your partner betrays you with somebody else, and not only do they not own their betrayal, but they blame you for the betrayal because it's your fault that I did what I did. And then it leaves you and you're all alone. And sometimes in life, you're loving your life and then all of a sudden you get sick and you go to the doctor and the doctor says to you, you have cancer and you work through this process of dealing with that and you go through chemo and prayer and you step out in faith and then the doctor says to you, you're in remission, it's all gone and you're like, praise God, hallelujah, he came through for me and then several years later you go back to the doctor and they say the cancer has come back and you're like, God, I don't understand. There's this, there's this wrestling that we do with him at times. We're trying to embrace him but there's also this wrestle that happens on the inside of us and, and then what happens is we're wrestling, we're trying to embrace and we're trying to embrace God, but we're wrestling with this stuff because we don't understand. And then some well-meaning Christian comes along to you and says this, 
You just got to trust him. Just let it, let it go and let him take over. You've just got to trust him. The Lord is in control. God is in control. All you need to do is let go and let God. Now, while their theology may not be bad, and while their heart is good, from experience, I found that the more they tell you to let go and let God, the more I want to punch them in the face. I'm sorry for my honesty this morning. But I know I need to trust God when I go, but how can I when it doesn't seem right? And though their theology may be good at this moment, your, your faith in that time, it feels wrecked and you feel raw. And to be honest, God doesn't feel good in that moment. And somebody gets up and says, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. And you're like, no, he's not. Because you know he could do something and he doesn't. And you don't understand why. And you know what? Habakkuk feels exactly the same way. And he goes on in verse 3 and 4 and he says, Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. What, what, what is Habakkuk saying here? He's basically saying, in other words, he's saying, God... I don't really think you know what you're doing. And I don't really think that what you're doing is right. And you know what? He's got the same problem and we have the same problem that with God that we have and people have had for the centuries because here's the reality, friend. We have these problems with God sometimes. Yes, the first thing is, is that we feel like he, you just don't seem to care. Why, why do you allow these injustices? Why do you allow this suffering? If, if God was a good God, why are people starving in Africa? If God is a good God, why does these things happen? If God is a good God, why is all this turmoil? Why is there a pandemic? If God's a good why is all of this? It doesn't seem like you care. The second thing is you aren't doing much when you could. Not only do I feel like you don't care, but you're not doing anything, and you could fix this all. You can just jump down from heaven and fix it all, but you won't. And I don't understand. And what you're doing, the third thing we say is what you're doing doesn't seem fair. I actually think it's one of the biggest blights on the educational system in our world at the moment that's raising a generation telling them everything should be fair. It's the biggest lie on the face of the planet if you've ever been told that because life is not fair. And God never said it would be. Just a little sidebar there. But let me ask you this. How many of you would be honest enough with me this morning to say that you've ever felt like that about God, that he doesn't care, that you're not doing anything when you should, that what you're doing doesn't seem fair? How many of you would be bold enough this morning, like me, to be able to kind of say in situations that we've gone through, if I was God, I would do this completely different. Come on, let's, let's be honest here this morning. All you have your hands down, you, honesty is a good trait. You'll get there. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I just want to know, God, are you, are you actually still paying attention? 
do, do you even care? And here's the question that some of us ask ourselves and we struggle with a little bit sometimes as a follower of Christ. And that is this. We have this question, is it okay to question God? Because some of us have been raised in a very religious, legalistic fashion where you can't question God on anything. So is it okay to question God? Is it okay to push back on God? Is that wrong? Is that unholy? Is that unfair? I would suggest to you that it's not because otherwise we wouldn't have a third of the Psalms that we have in the Bible because a third of the Psalms is all about people saying to God, this is not fair. Why do the wicked flourish? All those things. The authors of Job, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, and Jeremiah all express confusion and pain of unbearable, unjust suffering by faithful believers. That it's they're the most depressing books you'll read on the face of the planet, especially Lamentations. Because it's just like, why is this happening? Why is it going on? You don't care. You don't love us. You're not. So if 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 it was against theology or against God's thing of questioning him or pushing back on him sometimes and going, what are you doing? Then those books wouldn't be in the Bible and a third of the Psalms would not be there. And here's a killer for all of us. Jesus on the cross pushed back when he said, why have you forsaken me? In other words, I'm doing what you've asked me to do. I have come here, I have laid down my life, I have been whipped, I have been beaten, I'm hanging on the cross, I'm taking the weight of the sin of the world upon my shoulders and you turn your back on me? Why? Why have you abandoned me in my greatest moment of need? Even Jesus questioned, I'm your son, I've done everything right, and you've abandoned me. You pray for your nana, but she dies. You, you, you find a person that you looked up to and all of a sudden they did something wrong and they let you down or the doctor gives you news that you don't deserve. Whatever it is, ha life happens to all of us and life can do this from time to time. And the thing is, is when we go through this, at some point in your life, you're gonna have what they call a crisis of belief. You'll have a crisis of belief where you're going to say, God, if you are good, why am I here? And do you even care? And at this point, when you get to this point, people think that they have two options. The first one is this, is that I'll just go into denial mode. You know what, this is not happening, this is not happening, God is good, he is for me, not against me, I'm just going to pretend this isn't happening, I'm just going to denial, denial, pretend it's not happening, put a smile on my face, God is good, you're walking to church on Sunday, somebody says, how's it going? Great, I'm fantastic, and that's just a Christian response, not an honest response, and, and so you're just basically trying to ignore what's going on, and positive think your way out of it. Or else there's the second option, which is God isn't doing anything, so God sucks and he doesn't care. And if he's not going to do anything, then stuff him. Why should I follow him anyway? And so we walk away. But can I suggest to you this morning that based on Habakkuk, there's actually a third option. And the third option is this. That in the middle of the pain 
is the wrestle. That in the middle of the pain is the wrestle. I don't get it. I'm confused. But I'm going to continue to embrace and try and wrestle through this. Now, if you take the third option, does your life get better? If I'm honest with you this morning, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Sometimes it could get worse. And then what happens when it gets worse, we kind of slip into the James mode, yeah? Where he says, consider it pure joy when you go through trials of many kind, knowing that your trials will develop patience and perseverance. And when those things have had their come to the end, they're, they're complete, then you'll be lacking in nothing. And we, we understand that when we're starting to wrestle that we're in a trial and if I can hang in there long enough when I get to the end of this, there will be the perseverance must finish its work so that we can be mature, complete, not lacking in anything. And the way, if I'm honest with you, to true intimacy with God is not to live on the mountaintop. The way to true intimacy with God is learning about his faithfulness in the valley. Mountaintops are easy to live with God because everything's going great and everything's fantastic and the world's your oyster and everything's going great. It's the valley that challenges where we're really at with him. It's in the valley that we really find out where our faith stands. It's in the valley where we really discover what's going on because David said this, didn't he, in Psalm 23, that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What is he trying to say? He says, I feel like I'm dying. I'm in the shadow of death. But I know that as I keep walking through, even though it feels like death is over me, I know that you're with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I know I'm in a valley, but eventually when you're walking through the valley, you start to climb back up the mountainside, you start coming up the other side of it. And so he's saying here, we've got to embrace God. It's okay to embrace him in the valley and also wrestle with what's going on there, but we've got to keep walking. If we walk away, then we're stuck in the valley. If we deny it, then we'll never get out of the valley because we've got to embrace the doubts we have to allow God to show a different side of him that you won't see any other way than walking through the valley because he's the God of the valley as much as he's the God of the mountaintops and when I went for a crisis of belief when Trinity was sick all those years ago I decided not to deny and I decided not to walk away I decided to embrace and to wrestle and I found that as I did that I found a new level of of intimacy, not because I denied it and not because I walked away, but because I continued to embrace. And you might be here today and you're right now in a crisis of belief. And friend, we all get there at some point. And this is where Habakkuk is right now in this chapter. God doesn't seem fear. I don't understand I don't understand. And guess what God does? Guess, what, guess how God 
responds to Habakkuk saying, I don't understand what's going on here. I don't like what you're doing. I feel like you don't care. I feel like you're, you're not listening. I feel like you've abandoned me. Are you ready to hear what his response is? It's in Habakkuk 1.5. He says, look to the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. Could you imagine Habakkuk as he hears that? He's going, finally, finally God's going to turn up. Finally God's going to do something. Finally you're going to do what is right. Finally we're going to be relieved of this pain. God, we're going to be prosperous. We're going to be blessed. We're going to be utterly amazed at what he's going to do. And, and, and you're going to do something that I couldn't believe, and this is going to be amazing. And here comes the fairy tale moment. You know, the, 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 the princess finally gets the prince, and, and it's all fantastic, and, and it's all about to go, woohoo! And then God says to him, I'm going to intervene, and you're going to be amazed, and it's going to be unlike anything you've ever seen before, and you wouldn't believe it if I told you. So let me tell you what I'm going to do. And in verse 6, he says this, I'm raising up the Babylonians, your enemy, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings, not their own. They are fed and dreaded people. They all come intent on violence. So he's saying, you'll be amazed. You, it's going to blow your mind what I'm about to do. And basically what he says, what I'm about to do is you think it's bad now, it's about to get worse. I'm going to use your enemies to bring justice because of your sin. And this makes absolutely no sense to Habakkuk. He's like, in this moment, it's going to be awesome, it's going to be amazing. What? What? You see, a committed believer, a follower of Christ, not a Christian, because anyone can be a Christian. Being a Christian is easy. Being a Christian is absolutely easy. Most people that are Christians, I would suggest you sometimes are not Jesus followers, because we can be Christians and adapt the Bible to suit what we want. But when you're a Christ follower and you follow what Christ does, then you don't have the comfort of manipulating the scriptures to suit your Christianity. So what does a committed believer do? A committed believer understands that we can both wrestle with honest questions and embrace a genuine faith in God. You can do it at the same time. And I want you to see that this is what Habakkuk does. He tries to embrace God and his awesomeness as he wrestles with what he sees as unfair. And in verse 12, he says, Lord, you are not, Lord, are you not from everlasting, my God, my Holy One? You will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent with the wicked swallowing up those more righteous than themselves? He's saying here, Lord, you're, you're everlasting. You never die. I'm embracing you. But you've appointed our enemies to execute judgment on us. I'm wrestling. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. 
I love you. I'm embracing. You can't tolerate wrongdoing. I'm embracing. I'm embracing that. But why do you tolerate treacherousness? I'm wrestling with that. Why, do you, why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? I'm wrestling with that. I'm embracing you, but I'm wrestling. I, I love you, but I don't understand this. I love you, but you, I think you got this wrong. I'm trying to embrace and I'm trying to wrestle. Listen to me, if you're in that spot right now in your world, or maybe you're gonna visit it in the next few months, if you're there right now, what I want you to know is that God actually understands your pain. God is not ignoring it. Here's the thing, God welcomes your questions. God welcomes your doubts. God welcomes your questions because I'm convinced that God would rather have me yell at Him than walk away from Him. Some of you need to hear that this morning. It's okay to get angry and share your frustrations. He's not scared of your doubts. He's not scared of what you're wrestling with. God's not scared of your disappointments. God's not scared that you're struggling in this moment. He'd rather hear the honesty of your heart than cover it up with some Christianese. Bless the Lord. I love Job because his wife comes to him and says, why don't you curse God and die? Which makes sense when you think about everything that Job went through, everything that he lost. And Job doesn't turn around and say, oh, he's a good God. That's not his response. His response is, though he slay me, though he brings all this trouble upon me, I will follow him. What is he doing? He's embracing and he's wrestling. His wife is saying, give up and walk away. But Job is saying, no, no, though he slay me, though, though he's put me through all this, I will still follow him. I will still hang on to him. And slowly but surely, over time, God restored back to Job 10 times the things he ever lost. But he had to go through the valley of this embracing and this wrestling and this struggling. And when you hit the wall, when you hit a crisis of belief, don't deny your doubts. Don't deny them. Talk to God about them. Share them. Because what if honestly acknowledging your doubts is your first step towards building a deeper faith? What if acknowledging your doubts is the first step towards building a deeper faith? What if embracing your secret questions opens the door for a maturing knowledge of God's character? What if drawing closer to God, developing genuine intimacy with Him requires you to bear something that feels unbearable? To trust Him in the moment of doom, to embrace His strength when you're weak with a burden. What if it takes real pain to experience deep and abiding hope? And I say to you today, don't walk away from Him. Don't walk away from Him. Embrace and wrestle. Shall I give you the good ending to this message? Who wants a good ending to this message? There isn't one. But can I encourage you? Don't miss next week and the week after because Habakkuk goes on a journey 
through these three chapters. And it would be remiss of me and almost careless of me to just try and finish this message off of saying, don't worry, God's got you, he's in control. Ah! Because when you have a crisis of belief, you don't feel it, neither are you gonna believe it. What I'm trying to say to you this morning is, don't deny it, don't walk away from it, embrace it. Embrace the crisis of belief that you may be having. Ask God the questions, share your doubts, let Him, let Him hear what's really going on in your world. And my prayer for you today and for me today is that as we go through life, I pray that we would have the courage and that we would feel the permission to wrestle while we're trying to embrace. Love you, God, but I really don't think you're doing the right thing here. I know that you're sovereign. I know that you can do anything, but I don't understand why you're doing nothing. Maybe in asking the questions you're too scared to ask, you might find answers that you never thought would be answers. <laughs> Joseph, to me, is one of the greatest people in the Bible that must have had unbelievable questions of God. Gets a vision of him leading and his family and his parents bowing down to him. Could you imagine that? Imagine you come up here, up the front, and we've got a guest ministry here, and they prophesy over you, you'll lead your family, and you'll lead the nations, and da 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 and you're like, woo! And God's pathway for him to get to the palace was the pit, unjust accusations, the prison. Can you imagine the questions that he had? I thought I was gonna lead. I thought my family was gonna bow down to me. I thought I was gonna be the man in all of this. What am I doing in the pit? What am I doing in the prison? What is going on here? But he embraced and he wrestled and then one day he ended up in the palace and then he saved the known world at that time and the vision and the prophecy and the dream was fulfilled. But I can tell you now, that if Joseph denied his doubts or walked away from God in the pit or the prison, he never would have got to the palace. You see, there's so many things in life that don't make sense until you're through them. And then you look back and you're like, in hindsight, he was always with me. In hindsight, you know, I've talked a little bit this morning about what we went through with Trinity when she got really, really sick and we thought she was gonna die and we had all this stuff and our marriage was on the rocks through all of that. But I can tell you now, in the middle of that, I wanted to run away. I just wanted to run for my life. I think she wanted me to run away. I think she packed my bags. and no. But we wouldn't have the marriage today if we didn't go through that. You only get the mountaintop experiences by understanding that God's a God of the valleys. 